0: Uh, this morning we're going to be continuing our series in Deuteronomy, um, and the decision to split 15 came after I was assigned 16. So actually, next week you guys will go back to the back half of chapter 15, but this morning uh, we'll be in Deuteronomy 16. If you want to start turning there in your Bibles, as you're turning there, um, something that I've been doing a lot lately is packing as me and my family get ready to relocate, and. In my house, at least, with having a toddler, the thing that we probably have the most of besides books is a lot of different toys. And so I was spending a lot of my time packing my son's different toys into boxes, and something kind of stood out as I was thinking about the sermon for this week. Most of my son's toys are miniatures. Um, not miniatures in terms of like how small they are, but miniature versions of things. They're pretend versions of things that are real. Most notably of which, I noticed as I was packing up that my son has three play coffee makers. This is because my wife, Christina, and I, we really enjoy coffee. And so as gifts from people, we've gotten several different coffee makers from friends that know that we enjoy coffee. And what they're doing is they're giving my son a play version of something that he's not yet ready to play with. I wouldn't trust my son with the bean grinder unsupervised, and I wouldn't trust him with a kettle of boiling water because... He's three. He could hurt himself. But what stood out to me as I was thinking about the, the sermon that for this morning as we're looking at Deuteronomy 16 is the Passover is something of a shadow. It's something that is pointing to something that's going to come much later as we even talked about in our call to worship for this morning that Christ is our Passover lamb. So as I was continuing to work and to think on this sermon, I kept coming back to thinking about my son's three coffee pots and these small shadows and reflections of something that he was not yet ready for. And as we read in the New Testament, particularly in Galatians, we read that the law was given, the ceremonies, the sacrifices were given almost like a nanny in order to be able to raise up God's people so that at the right time, Christ could come. Or as the beginning of Hebrews puts it, that long ago and in many ways, God the Father spoke through the prophets. But now, in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son. So this morning, what we're going to do, a little bit different than normal. Typically, we have exegetical sermons where we just walk straight through the text. We explain and apply the things. I really want you guys to capture this morning the beauty that the Passover is. The beauty that it is God's grace that is given to God's people. And that it's actually a shadow of what is promised. And so this morning, the, the little bit of a difference we're going to do in order to be able to really capture that beauty, we're going to be doing what's called biblical theology. And biblical theology is just going through scripture, tracing a theme through, so that we can see how God develops it and communicates to his people. Because here in Deuteronomy is not the first place that Passover is mentioned. But it's a part where God is emphasizing to his people that he wants them to remember Passover. And he's calling for them to remember his grace. And so what we're actually going to do, we're going to bounce around to a couple of places. We're not only going to read our passage in Deuteronomy, but we're going to read the institution of it in Exodus. And then we're going to see where it goes of that Christ is our Passover lamb, that we might see the beauty of God's grace of how he has acted throughout all of time. So this morning, as we go through it, you can see outlined in your bulletin there for you, I have I have three major sections we're going to go through of this biblical theology of Passover. We're going to go through the first Passover. We're going to go through the command here in our main passage in Deuteronomy to remember the Passover. And then we're actually going to go into one of my favorite books of the Bible, if it's okay to say that I have a favorite. And we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 10 towards the end. As we look at this once and for all Passover that we have in Christ. So with that said, we'll start by reading our passage in Deuteronomy for this morning. So Deuteronomy chapter 16, we're going to just be reading verses 1 through 8 this morning. Hear now the holy and infallible word of God. Observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night, and you shall Offer the Passover sacrifice to the Lord your God from the flock or the herd at the place that the Lord will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat it with the unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that all the days of your life you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. No leaven shall be seen "...with you in all of your territory for seven days, nor shall any of the flesh that you sacrifice on the evening of the first day remain at all night until morning. You may not offer the Passover sacrifice within any of your own towns that the Lord your God is giving you, but at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make His name dwell in it. There you shall offer the Passover sacrifice. In the evening at sunset, at the, at the time you came out of Egypt... And you shall cook it and eat it at the place that the Lord your God will choose. And in the morning you shall turn and go to your tents. For six days you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day there will be a solemn assembly to the Lord your God. You shall do no work on it. This is the word of the Lord and it was given for our good. And here, even in a sacrifice, we see His grace given to us. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father, Lord, you are um, the God of heavens and earth. You are a God who tells a story of grace for his people throughout all of time. This morning, as we study your word, as we look at the Passover, as we look at not only on your judgment of sin, but the grace that you offer by the blood of another, Lord, we pray that in these things we would see the beauty that you've given us in the gospel, that we would reflect on it, that we would even celebrate it with joy. these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we have a big portion to go through, by all means, we're just kind of scratching the surface. I'm not going to be touching on the different breads mentioned as part of the Passover. We're going to focus on the sacrifice of Passover because we also are called to remember the Passover just under the new covenant. So let's dive right into my first section there for us as we go through this biblical theology, and that is the first Passover. So as Israel is about to Enter the promised land, these people in Deuteronomy, they're being reminded to observe the Passover. So as we begin, it's important, what is the Passover? If you have your Bible with you, I mentioned we're going to go to a couple different places, or even if you want to pull out your phone, I'd encourage you to follow along as we go. I invite you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12 is where we see the directions given for the Passover, Passover. What is this meal, what is this sacrifice going to be what's happening here? So Exodus chapter 12, this is the 10th and final plague, this Passover that is poured out on Egypt as God is redeeming his people from bondage and slavery. If you look with me at verse uh, chapter 12 verse 3, and I'm going to read actually through verse 13. Because it's important that we see this so that we can understand the grace and the beauty that is given as we talk about the Passover. So verse 3 of Exodus 12 reads, Tell all of the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb." Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on two doorposts and a little of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not or, or do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts, and you shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This is what's happening in the Passover. Passover is a sacrifice given to God's people with very particular directions. The lamb needed to be spotless. This was something that was going to be done for the whole household. So this involves everyone. And the method of butchering and cooking is defined, even how they're to eat it, and that they need to be ready to leave with haste. They're going to be eating with their staffs and their belts fastened, ready to walk out the door at a moment's notice. So this would be like eating with your jacket and your backpack on, ready to run out the door. Israel isn't choosing to do this. God is giving this provision as an act of grace for his people. If you look back at verse 11 there in Exodus 12, we see that this is the Lord's Passover. This is something that he is giving to them. God is going to judge Egypt by the death of the firstborn, of both the animals and of the people. And the judgment is going to be the same for anyone who does not have blood on their doorposts. So what makes God's people different? That there is blood on the door. That something has died so that they might live. The blood of the perfect Passover lamb will lead to the household being passed over. And you don't need any knowledge of Hebrew to see the play on words there. In English it comes through very clearly. We, we have the Passover sacrifice being referred to. And it's called just that because God is going to pass over the judgment upon their house. God is going to judge Egypt and he is going to pass over those that have followed his rules. Towards the end of this chapter, if you were to keep reading, we see that this, this Passover meal, if you go to the end of Exodus 12, we even see directions for people who are not Israelites being the offer that they would be included in this meal that those who would then join the covenant community and be circumcised are going to have all of the same benefits of God's grace that is given. So we can conclude a couple of important things here as we're building this biblical theology of Passover. The first is that Passover, this event that takes place in Exodus as the 10th plague, is God's judgment upon Egypt. And second... That Passover is an act of God's grace because he provides for his people justification for, from his judgment by the blood of another. Or to put it more simply, something without blemish has to die so that you might live. And this is what we see throughout all of scripture because even all the way back in the garden, we see that Adam is made with, or Adam is the, the first man. God makes with him a covenant of life. That he might know perfection. But we see that death enters the world. And so there's this constant tension between life and death. And what God is doing is he is restoring life to his people. And one of the ways that happens is that something actually has to die so that they might live. This gives us a better understanding of Christ's sacrifice. That's why we need this. We, We can behold the beauty of the gospel in God's grace as we understand the Passover and sacrifices. If you look back with me at Deuteronomy 16, we're going to be flipping around a little bit this morning. If we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 16, our main passage for this morning, we read in verse 1, Observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib the Lord your God brought you out of the land of Egypt by night, and you shall offer the Passover sacrifice to the Lord your God from the flock or the herd at the place that the Lord will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall eat it. And he goes through the same commands that the people were given in the Exodus. Something that they already knew. They're being reminded of it, that they might actually remember what it is God has done for them. The Passover not only distinguished Israel in the past when they were leaving Egypt, it's going to continue to distinguish them as God's people in the future in this promised land. This sacrificial meal shows forth God's grace that he has made a way for his people. As people of the new covenant, so the church, because we're under the new covenant bought with Jesus' blood, I think we often find it difficult as we read things in like Leviticus and we see the law and the sacrifices and we read those and we see a great burden. Even about a month ago there was a, a whole sermon as we walked through Deuteronomy on how to kill and hunt animals and there's these laws and regulations and when we go back and read that it seems like these are just great burdens and i want to highlight for you here that no, no no these are still god's grace for his people god has always been a god of grace because what we look back and see is regulations and rules and things that don't seem like there's grace even like the passover it is an act of god's grace It is an act of God's grace that he is giving them away. And so where we might look at the law and the sacrifices and see a burden for the Israelites, they would look on it as a blessing. It holds forth God's steadfast love again and again that he has given for his people, a way in which he makes provision. The sacrificial system, including the Passover, teaches that something has to die so that you might live. A possibly helpful illustration comes to mind. One of my favorite movies is a movie called Saving Private Ryan. It stars Tom Hanks, significantly younger than he is now, and Matt Damon, before he was actually a very well-known actor. Uh, It's directed by Steven Spielberg. It won a ton of awards, and it's based around a real story. So during World War II, there was a provision put out that if all of the brothers and the father of one family died in the war... The last one, the last living one, there would be an attempt to bring them back so that the family's name might remain. So this is a, a, the movie's based around a true story about the Neeland brothers. So during World War II, and the movie begins with an old man walking through a military graveyard. And as he's walking through, you see his family following close behind him. Then it cuts back to the the main plot of the movie in which these army rangers are being sent out to save this private named Ryan. Saving Private Ryan. Just in the name of the movie. No spoilers there. So they spend a lot of time trying to find this Private Ryan. And throughout it, all of the company that gets sent actually ends up dying along the way. And as the captain, played by Tom Hanks, is breathing his last breath as they finally found this Private Ryan, he tells him to earn this. Earn this, that this crazy thing happened to all these other men, that they died that you might live. And the movie ends, you finally know who the older man was walking through the graveyard, that it's this Private Ryan as they fade the faces together... And as he finds the gravestone of this captain, he falls down weeping. And he turns and asks his wife this question as his grandchildren and his children are behind him. Did I earn this? Tell me I'm a good man. And for this young soldier who made it home, someone else had to die that he might live. And here's the difference with this story. I'm telling this, this illustration to help us picture. Something has to die that we might live, but it's not that we earn it. The Passover does not earn God's grace because then it would not be an act of God's free grace. It is not that something has to die that then you might earn it. The grace that is given is that something has to die that you are undeserving of the mercy that is given. It's a free gift. And this is really important as we look at the Passover because blood is a rather significant thing for the sacrifices. And the Bible actually has a lot to say about blood, and much more beautifully than a movie ever could. There's a significant value placed in the sacrifices concerning blood. It's important to note that blood was seen as one of the most powerful cleansing agents available in the ancient world. Blood was also seen as that which could pay as a ransom for the guilty. Or as Leviticus, we won't turn there, but as Leviticus 17.11 says... For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you for on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by life. Something has to die so that we might live. And the animal's blood was accepted as payment or ransom on the sinner's behalf to atone. Something had to die so that they could live. And death is coming the Passover in Exodus, death is coming to every firstborn son unless something dies in his place. And this meal is clearly given as a blessing, not a burden. The system of Passover and the sacrificial was given as a gracious gift by the Lord because the blood of sinners, humans that deserve judgment, was everyone. And the sole use of the animal's blood was to make this atonement. And the Passover is the very opposite of our common human impulse to earn salvation, to earn anything. Or, as Tom Hanks' character says in the movie To the Soldier, earn this with his dying breath. That is not what is happening in the sacrificial system. But rather is that God, by His grace, allows that something else can take the judgment and die on your behalf. So as we venture through this biblical theology of Passover this morning, here's my first main point. The Passover was given as an act of God's free grace. I think that's come across pretty well. I've said the word grace probably a hundred times by now. So if there's something from this first point you take away is that the Passover is an act of God's free grace. God is consistent in his dealings with mankind and there has never been a way to merit or earn God's favor. The wages of sin has always been death, and something has to die that life might be restored. And the Israelites, like the church, are not only saved from the death that they deserve, but it's by God's own grace and God's own action. So let's now transition to that second point, which is where our, passage, our main passage for this morning comes in a little bit more in Deuteronomy 16. Let's go to that second point, which is remembering the Passover. If you look back with me in Deuteronomy 16, the, the last sentence of verse 3, here is the commandment to them, that all the days of your life you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. God is hoping that His people, now freed from slavery, they've seen the ten plagues go out against Egypt, that they remember the salvation that they were given. They are to remember the Passover. They are to remember that something had to die so that they could live. They are to remember the events that we've been talking about. They are to remember that God gives away by His grace. They are remembering that something else died that they might live. And this remembering is actually meant to shape Israel. And remembering is actually meant to shape even the church. So why do we need to remember? I got one more story about my son. It's not about his coffee pot. a couple months back we, we took a trip and there was something my son said that I wanted to remember. It actually it, what he said begins with the word remember too. But so I wrote it down in my phone and it's not because I wanted to remember the particular of what he said. I wanted to remember the moment of what he said. So without further ado, here's the advice from my 3-year-old son. This was on the day of his third birthday. Always remember daddy, alligators fit in the fridge when they are small. Great advice. I don't know if you cook alligator often, I've never even eaten alligator, but they only fit in the fridge when they're small and always remember daddy. I'm not trying to remember the actual words that he said. I want to remember the moment that is tied to that because that particular moment was as a family, we went on a trip with Walter's grandparents and we went to Disneyland and we got back to the hotel room and our feet were throbbing. We were exhausted. We had eaten too much sugar. We had stayed up way past his bedtime, and as we were laying him down to sleep, this was his advice. Always remember daddies, alligators fit better in the fridge when they're small. I want to remember that moment, and so God calling for his people to remember the Passover, it's not just the actual events of the Passover. He's looking for them to remember the weight of the moment, not just the words. He's looking for them to remember and actually be shaped by that memory. Because for me, in that moment, that quote from my son, it brings me back to that memory that is a very joyful memory of his childhood. And when I look in the notes in my phone and I see it, I, I get a little again every time because I remember the moment. And so Passover is going to regularly happen, that they might remember, that it might be put before them again and again. This is why it's important to remember. God is reminding his people here to remember their redemption, to remember that something died so that they could live. There would even possibly be sons in that room and children in that room who their dad or their grandfather was a firstborn son. And they're hearing this story retold in Deuteronomy as they're about ready to enter the promised land. Dad or grandpa is only alive because the blood of that lamb that saved them when they were getting ready to leave Egypt. That's much more powerful than the the abstract distance that we have when we read about Passover of it saving the firstborn son. That sounds very distant. Or for instance, I only have one child. My, My little Walter is a firstborn son. And so for all the people in the room that are hearing this, that have the living memory of it, that remember the time in Egypt before God saved them, this Passover is a celebration. This is a day of victory. This is not a thing of defeat. This is that God's grace has made a way. It would be an exciting thing. To continue to remember the Passover. It's a solemn thing that's given by God. But it would be an exciting thing. Because it's holding forth His grace. It's a celebration. It's a celebration that something dies so that we might live. So here is my second major point. As we go through this biblical theology of Passover. There is power in remembering what God has done. There is power in remembering God's grace. And God knows that we are forgetful. So God actually gives us things that we might remember. We do one of them every single week when we gather and that is the Lord's table in which we're actually told in scripture. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six 26 reads, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Christ's death that is for you. It is an act that is actually preaching and proclaiming the gospel that you have memories of, of breaking the bread and drinking the wine that you might remember christ's death remembrance is something that is given to all of the followers of god throughout time because we need it we need to be reminded of that grace and for the israelites this passover meal was given as a perpetual sign that they are god's people that they live by his grace and the sign points to the spiritual reality that god saved them that god by his grace did this the lamb dying in their place and for christians the sign that we're given that we have the the lord's table that we come to it replaces it as the once and for all and better and complete passover we'll get there more in my third point but in the death of jesus in jesus living a perfect life as your spotless lamb dying in your place for the just demands of sin leading to death this covenant meal of the lord's table holds forth christ's death that is for you it's a reminder of the goodness of the gospel One of my favorite quotes throughout church history is by uh, Augustine of Hippo, where he summarizes the gospel in these six words. God himself gives what he demands. God demands perfection. God demands blood for the atonement of sins, that something has to die that you might live. And God, by his grace, does something that we could not do, that we could never merit. And the Passover, like before I was talking about my son's coffee pot as we began this morning, It's a shadow. the Passover is like that. It's a shadow of what the real thing would be, the real thing that was going to come, the real thing that was not going to be the blood of an animal that had to happen in perpetuity again and again and again, but the blood of the firstborn son of God for you, a once and for all sacrifice. Something far more precious is spilt for our atonement. Indeed, the whole sacrificial system that even begins in Genesis 3 when God himself makes the first sacrifice to give clothing to Adam and Eve is fulfilled in exceeding expectations in Christ's death for us. And this is the gospel, church. The God who we worship is a God of grace, and he always has been. And he makes a way for his just demands by his free grace that we might worship him, that we might glorify him. Let's continue now to the third point. Christ, our Passover. We've hinted at it from the very beginning of the service, even in our call to worship, because there is great joy even hearing people proclaim, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Because we have a once and for all atonement. So we made this point already this morning that Christ is our Passover lamb. The Passover is just a shadow, a type of what Christ was going to come and do So I'd like to focus my last point on this. What makes Christ's sacrifice better? Why is the last Passover better than the Passover that happened in Egypt? If you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, this this is the question that perhaps the whole book of Hebrews focuses on, is why Christ is better in every way. Not only in his priesthood, not only in his kingship, but also in his sacrifice that he is better in every way. This book celebrates this throughout the whole thing, that Christ fulfills all of the old covenant promises, fulfills them to overflowing in the new covenant. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. I'm actually going to read, I had to contain myself. I wanted to read more of it. I'm going to read 18 verses and commentate as we go, because this is, I think, one of the most exciting things as we're looking at Passover. And this is why what can seem like humdrum or the, the, this Passover, these sacrifices seem confusing. They seem like merit, but they are clearly not. But God's act of grace throughout all of time. Hebrews takes all of these things, pulls them together and just makes you, makes me want to jump up and down, makes me want to sing praises because here is how much better this covenant is. Here is what this God has done for us who loves his people. So Hebrews chapter 10 verses, uh, I'm going to read one through 18. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Those sacrifices were the shadows. They were types. They were never going to make perfection. Otherwise... Would they have ceased, this is verse 2, have they ceased to be offered since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices there is a reminder every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. They cannot ultimately atone, they rather subdue that which is owed. And the the, the salvation that was given through that blood was only looking forward to the blood and the atonement of Jesus Christ. Let's continue reading, though. Consequently, this is verse 5. When Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for Me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written to Me in the scroll of the book when he said the above you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings these are offered according to the law then he added behold i have come to do your will he does away with the first order in order to establish the second christ has removed the old covenant because he's replaced it with something better and by the will And by that will, we have been uh, sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Not perpetual in every year, once and for all, our once and for all Passover. And every priest stands daily in his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, and he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit bears witness to us. For after saying this, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins no more and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. And not only is that just so exciting, but what we actually have here, there's a strong contrast here in this passage that I want to point out because this Passover was intended to happen every year. Christ comes and does it once and for all. And one of the contrasts given to that here in Hebrews 10 is Christ is a priest who has sat down. If you think about in Leviticus 16, you have the day of atonement. When you read the descriptions of all the sacrifices, all the things that the priests were going to need to go through and do, They ain't sitting down. They're not sitting down the entire day. And Christ is a priest who comes, makes one perfect sacrifice, once and for all atonement, and he sits down. And not only does he sit down, but he sits down next to his Father in heaven. From there, he intercedes for us on our behalf. A priest who does not need to make atonement for himself first. There is that better sacrifice. That's why it is such a joyful thing to say that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Because the old has been done away with. Because it has been fulfilled. And this is just like in Deuteronomy 16. This is what we are called to remember. That we're called to remember the Passover. The remembrance is the ultimate Passover that we have in Jesus Christ. And as we've seen, as we've gone through this morning, God has always acted with grace to his people. By his free grace. By giving them directions. By loving and caring for them. By making a way. By answering his own just demands. Christ comes as our Passover lamb as a greater covenant. The promise of the new covenant is fulfilled. And it is better in every way. And is consistent with how God has acted throughout all of time. Sacrifices were an act of grace. And Jesus is that ultimate once and for all sacrifice. Praise be to God for he has acted graciously with every generation. And this is what we need to remember, church. That just like the Israelites about to enter the promised land, we need to remember his grace that is given to us. That God himself has made a way that he has given for us to remember. That we might actually come together as a people and celebrate that grace that is given to us. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father, Lord, we thank you for your grace, for your steadfast love and mercy that you give again and again. A grace that we could never earn or merit, Lord, that something must die that we could live, that you send your own son, that he might die so that we might know life, that we might know new life, that we might know life in abundance, Lord, that you might restore to us the things that were lost in the fall. Lord, we praise you for this. Lord, prepare our hearts now as we come to the table of our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.